Hello and welcome to the Men's Health Matters podcast. I'm Rob Klein from the Freemasons Foundation, which has proudly partnered with the University of Adelaide to create the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health. The centre supports young scientists who are dedicated to undertaking research, addressing some of the biggest health issues important to men. So far, we have produced hundreds of research publications and initiatives which make a difference in everything from depression and sexual health to heart disease and prostate cancer. The Men's Health Matters podcast series showcases some of our current research which is aimed at advancing the health and well-being of all Australian men. And now, here's your host, Cameron Giz, to take you through it. On this episode of the Men's Health Matters podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Sean Martin, who is an early career research fellow for the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health at the University of Adelaide. As for awards, he has been the recipient of an NHMRC Early Career Researcher Fellowship and was recently awarded a Fulbright Scholarship. He has developed his own research interests and program around LUTs, or lower urinary tract symptoms, and chronic disease in men, and today he will be giving you the lowdown on LUTs and his research in the area. So without further ado, let's jump into my podcast with Dr. Sean Martin. Hey Sean. Okay. Welcome to the Men's Health Matters podcast. Um, it's great to have you on the show. Good to have me. Um, if we start focusing on the area of, of LUTs, or mm. lower urinary tract symptoms, mm. um, you know, why is this area so important? Yeah, that's, that's something I ask myself every day. So I, you know, it was, um, it's interesting for me having been involved in men's health for a little while just to sort of see where I've ended up. It's been one of those situations where I think it's been kind of almost like a, an arranged marriage. I've learned to love that area, whereas initially it was just kind of thrust in front of me and we had to sort of um, get to know each other from there. But, I mean, LUTs is, LUTs is one that's interesting. So, you know, if you go back on 20, 30 years ago, a lot of the urinary dysfunctions of older men would just be considered part of the aging process and there was really nothing you could do about it was considered um, mainly based on um, prostatic abnormalities. So um, most men, you know, 85 to 90% of men as they age in their 70s and 80s have an enlarged prostate. And often the downstream consequence of that was thought to be that you would have these LUTs. So things like uh, increased frequency of urination, um, an urgency when you first feel the need to void a thing called nocturia where you're excessively voiding at night more than two times a night and um, then what we call the, the voiding type symptoms so these are like an intermittent stream or a weak stream um, but there are also other range of urinary symptoms like pain whilst voiding and so you know, voiding is urinating yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah so fast forward um you know, a few years, and there was um, some seminal studies that sort of showed that there was this poor correlation between prostate size and urinary symptoms. So um, often men would have quite enlarged prostates, but their um, urinary function would be fine, or conversely, they would have quite poor urinary symptoms, but their prostate size would be uh, normal. So there began to be this emerging uh, body of evidence that you know it's not all related for men to prostate size. Um, and then we kind of came along uh, with our body of research and some others and people at Neary and um, Kevin McBerry and some other people in the States that showed and 
uh, particularly this guy called Christopher Chappell in the in the UK that showed that you know there was a lot of other body factors, so systemic factors that would also relate to urinary function, uh, and then this came this idea of of uh, the bladder, the urobladder complex as this integrated functional unit um, within the body. So it's just not this passive hollow organ. It's actually kind of you know it, it's attuned to what's going on in the body. Uh, and so that you know kind of then became fascinating for us is that okay, well, what other things are you urinary? What is other things is your urinary function um, sort of telling you? So that's I guess the um, the the conceptual framework behind LUX. But in terms of like just first base principles, why you know it's important to study. Um, it's it's highly relevant to men's quality of life. So even though most men will accept. Um, we now argue uh, incorrectly that this is just part of the aging process. They still nonetheless report that it has a huge detriment on their quality of life, uh, particularly things like incontinence um, and, and things like nocturia. So if you have nocturia and you're up, some of these guys are up three, four, five times a night. And again, they're just accepting, well, that's part of the aging um, process, but actually it's not, and there are things they can do to modify that. But um, in doing so, and often sort of miss out huge chunks of sleep. And if it's combined with things like delivery insomnia or they've got some things going on in their lives and they have this constant daily, you know, they're in sleep debt essentially for excessive periods of time. Um, you know, for nocturia, again, if it's combined with um, older men, they're at risk of fractures. And, and um, you know, the data's clear that a lot of the hospitalizations due to fractures for older guys um, are direct cause of nocturia, they're getting up at night. Uh, to avoid their sleep, they fall. Some of them don't get medical attention for extended periods of time. It's, it's a very strong predictor of the death, not just kind of poor health outcomes. Um, and, you know, there are also the sort of psychological implications. So I've been in the past couple of years, been lucky to sort of um, sit in in urological consults with some colleagues um, that I've met through my work. And, you know, I remember distinctly um, last year in May, I was with a, um, a guy called Professor Hunter Vessels over in uh, the States and was sitting in with him in a consult with a guy who he planned his whole day-to-day life with how far he could stay dry. So, you know, how long he could travel, even to get to the consult to this, see this amazing urologist was based on just how long he could keep dry. So, you know, he would have pads with him and you can see when this guy was talking about it, it was an emotional issue for him and he was like an ex-marine guy who's like a Navy SEAL or something, but this 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 thing would have kind of almost broken him. So, you know, whilst it's kind of considered as this sort of relatively benign condition that, you know, just old guys getting old, it's something that really, in terms of men's health, can have, you know, quite devastating uh, effect. And, um, you know, these colleagues that we have in um, Boston, they had a paper in uh, 2007 that showed that moderate and severe lux can have a, a, an equivalent effect on quality of life as things like cancer and you know heart attacks so uh, it's a very important condition in terms of the quality of life it's something that's often underdiagnosed uh, and the kicker to all of this is there are often pretty good treatments available um, for men but they just don't seek treatment for it so yeah i guess that's that's how I've learned to sort of, as a men's health researcher, as an epidemiologist, learn to kind of um, really appreciate how urinary dysfunction in men 
um, can be improved and improve their life. So that's my interest in. Yeah. So <clears throat> plus, I just watch. I like watching old men pee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can tell. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess as a as a younger younger person, I hadn't really heard anything about it before. Mm. In. It's not really a kind of common issue that yeah. comes up. And um, well, that's one thing our data shows is that certainly it's far far less common for a younger guy, but there are still some guys um, who have issues with it. Um, unfortunately, I mean, this has come like issue of the day really but a lot of kind of uh, amphetamine usage can be linked to long term incontinence in younger men that's been something that you know an increase increased usage of those sorts of um, those sorts of substances have sort of um, come to the fore but by and large from a population based level um, you know it's something that sort of starts to rear its head in, in your 40s and 50s um, and again you know it doesn't necessarily relate to um, aging processes, although there is, there is a small bit of functional decline, but it's often more related to um, the factors that you accumulate um, through age. So you know, you stop exercising as much. Your physical health in general sort of declines. If, like I seem to be getting, you know, you get a little bit of uh, you get a bit of tummy fat, and you know all that sort of stuff. So it's accumulation of those kind of things um, that lead to a general poor health, and that's when. Um, that sort of seems to pop up and you know that's kind of our interest too is it's one of these conditions that pops up early so we're trying to use it as you know a sentinel marker or like a canary in the coal mine as Mark often refers to um, for these other kind of conditions and um, whether or not you know you can obviously prevent fatal things like heart attacks and, and strokes and, and those sorts of things uh, and also it's obviously something that gives you you know a daily six or eight times a day a daily feedback mechanism where uh, you know you can see if your urinary um, frequency is declining or it's just rapidly uh, increasing or you do have this urgent continence and those sorts of things so, yeah. so if you're someone listening and you're suffering from lust mm. um, you know what would you what would you tell that person well I mean our first protocol is always to um, to see GP to bring it up I mean obviously that's honestly that's the huge battle within um, urology is just to get to men to get away from this idea that that's just part of the um, aging process and also you know to get GPs as well just to sort of you know stop telling you you know well you're old fellow what do you expect kind of thing that there are things that they can do um, and not necessarily to race straight to the you know alpha blockers or, or these medications or you know even to send them off to a urologist to get surgery straight away that there are sort of lifestyle modifications that you can make as a first port of call and then just to keep engaged with your GP from a patient's point of view and from a GP's point of view to keep engaged with the patients on tracking their urological function and just make sure it gets to a level um, where the the patient is happy or or, you know from a guy's perspective they can get it to a point where they're happy um, as well so you know, there are basic lifestyle modifications you can make. Like, obviously, if you're having six or eight cups of tea before you're in bed, you know, you should probably stop doing that. Um, you know, the general sort of advice that uh, urologists would give would be to minimise um, the fluid intake, like just three or four hours prior to bed, but um, also to minimise caffeine intake and, and those kind of basic sort of things. Um, but then beyond that, you know, things like increasing your exercise, which have been shown to sort of help uh, moderate bladder tone, uh, but also, you know, you can kind of uh, 
decrease your tummy fat, particularly again, our research has shown that, and that's thought to relate to a variety of mechanisms, but you can um, help reduce this inflammation um, environment in the bladder, which can help with what used to be called irritative symptoms of the bladder line. You can often get quite angry, and then it starts to sort of uh, create these um, um, storage type symptoms. So um, those are the kind of basic things that guys can do. And not only do they help with the the appearance of these LUTs, they can also help with the medications. So um, we're looking to do some research um, at the moment where, you know, if a guy's taking a certain medication, say an alpha blocker, they tend to spend on average, respond on average better if they are doing things like increasing their physical activity or reducing um, their, uh, their weight circumference, those sorts of things. So there's yeah. a variety of things that guys can do too far. Cool. Um, you mentioned earlier that it can be a canary in a coal mine. Um, would you just be able to expand on that? Like, is it a, a kind of a, a symptom of a potential symptom of other problems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the that's the kind of general idea. Um, you know, our data has shown, and um, certainly others are showing that, or, and there's some others that have showed prior to us that these sorts of symptoms become manifest um, before other more serious conditions. So, you know, a heart attack is one that's often given. But also an area we're working on is uh, depression. So a lot of guys with depressive type symptoms will have urinary function that is is dysfunctional. Um, but and also particularly with diabetes, obviously one of the uh, first indicators of um, diabetes is excessive urination. Um, but you know there's a range of other kind of complications just within relation to diabetes. But certainly in terms of heart attack, that's one, or cardiovascular disease in general, um, that's one area of focus that we've been working on. Um, that was one of the, actually, the main areas of focus of my fellowship. Um, and so, you know, we've been able to show, and, and others, particularly in Europe, have shown that, um, that the appearance of LUTs can also help predict um, whether or not guys have, um, or are at risk of, of cardiovascular disease. So um, obviously the problems with men is that they, more so than women, will often have a first and fatal um, heart attack. Um, so, you know, without any real symptoms that cause them to go to GP, um, they will, you know, have a heart attack and then if it's bad enough, then that's a good night IRN sort of thing. Um, so, so, yeah, we're working on some sort of models that sort of show which particular type of symptoms are, you know, early indicators of which particular types of chronic diseases. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, that's something that um, we hope to expand over the next few years. Yeah, sweet. Um, and I guess, like, for you personally, um, where do you see the kind of research heading? Kind of, uh, I see things for, for me... Um, and, you know, I mean, men's health, men's health has been interesting in that, you know, uh, 10, 15 years ago, it was hardly getting any attention. There was a few people sort of battering away at the door, but they didn't ever seem to be sort of getting much success. And there were a lot of disparate groups who were doing some good things, but it was never really coordinated. And now seems kind of a time where it's, with things like Movember and other kind of initiatives, it's sort of captured the public's attention for a little bit. It's kind of considered acceptable now to talk about um, men's health 
and um, so it's it's fascinating to see where that will head from now. Um, young guys, you know, my brother's about nine years younger than me, and some of his um, friends are younger than him, and and I'm always fascinated to hang around them and, and see how open they are talking about health issues, not just mental health issues, but also physical health issues, and how they kind of have this you know, kind of peer network where they kind of monitor each other's health or talk about kind of, hey, have you tried this? And, you know, that's fascinating to see um, from, you know, research side of things, how, how things will sort of evolve um, with that cohort. So, yeah, it's, hopefully I'm still around. Research is a, is a highly, not just competitive, but it's the, the funding is, is very, very tight. So um, hopefully we can stick around and, and keep picking goals. So yeah, thanks thanks again for coming on the podcast today, Sean. Um, if people have any questions about what we've been talking about or your research, how can they go about contacting you? Uh, probably best via email. I'm a little bit old school that way. Uh, so it's just Sean, S-E-A-N dot Martin at adelaide.edu.au. And um, yeah, I'm always happy to respond to any, any query. Well, yeah, thanks again, mate. No, it's been a, uh, been a pleasure talking right. to you and learning about what's there? going on. You may <laughs> touch the table. Um, but yeah thanks again thanks for having me for more information about LUTs and other important men's health issues check out Andrology Australia's website at www.andrologyaustralia.org our next podcast features one of the centre's PhD students Phoebe Giuli Phillips we discuss her research on anxiety in men and how they talk about it online also, don't forget to sign up to our Men's Health Register if you're interested in research. It only takes a minute or two. Head to our website at www.adelaide.edu forward slash men's health for more info. If you enjoy listening to the Men's Health Matters podcast, then please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. Cheers for listening, guys. Until next time.